Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Nah, I'm not going to do the whole thing again. Nah, I'm not going to do the whole thing again. Uh, welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. I am your host, Dan Bespris. I almost... I mean, if, if anybody didn't listen to yesterday's show, then it would have been new to them. On yesterday's podcast, I did the entire opening to Marvel's What If? Because I just thought it'd be fun to kind of take a break from Bucketology. Bucketology? Come on, Dan, get it together. Daytime podcast. Apparently, I can't talk in the daytime. Take a break from day uh, from bucketology. See, there we go. Bucketology. Bucketology. You guys are gonna think I'm high over here or something. To uh, talk a little bit about the Kevin Durant stuff because it is in overdrive these last two days. And I remembered, by the way, which other team was involved. It was the Pelicans. That was the third team. So on yesterday's podcast, we did a little what if, which. If you're not familiar with the uh, Marvel animated show that was on Disney+, Plus, it's this concept of parallel universes. What if certain decisions changed? How does that create kind of a non-linear set of uh, universes, timelines? And in this case, I thought it was fun to play a little what if with Kevin Durant because he's more or less reiterated his trade demand. The Nets have said... You know, we're not going to fire our, our entire front office because you're not thrilled with how things went last year. And I, again, I, reiterating what I mentioned yesterday, I can see why the Nets are handling this the way that they are. Durant has forced them to. There was a way. If KD really wanted to stay in Brooklyn and also really wanted... Steve Nash and Sean Marks gone. There was a way to do it. And it was to work with other players on the team and to talk to Joe Tsai in private and express his concerns, possibly through his agent, would have been the way to do it. Before last season ended, so that there could be some kind of plan for ownership going into this offseason. Say, oh, you know, we just, we didn't like the direction everything went last year. Um... So we're going to make so-and-so changes, whatever. And then everybody would have been sort of quietly happy, and maybe we never would have been the wiser that it was KD pulling the strings behind the scenes. But now it's way too late. Because now that this thing became so flagrantly public, and KD goes into a meeting, we all knew about the meeting, and we all knew the exact result of the meeting, and Shams gets his leaks from the player's side in Brooklyn. You can always tell, I mean... His ridiculous tweet about Kyrie Irving when he was opting into his contract, you know, about daring to be different, was just the silliest crap ever, but obviously came from the player. So then we got the report from Shams, which, again, very clearly came from the player. In this case, that would be Kevin Durant, that he had reiterated his demands, and also those demands were A, B, and C, in this case, A, B, and C being... Get rid of Nash, get rid of Sean Marks, tear down the front office, the direction is messed. Which, for all intents and purposes, you know, KD's not an idiot. Shams is not an idiot. The Nets are not idiots. 
it's very clear that when those demands became public, that was a way for Kevin Durant to say, I still want out without having to say, it's just me wanting out. He made a public demand that he knew the Nets could not acquiesce to. And I know that Nets fandom and Nets Twitter are going buck wild with why would you choose these, you know, a hapless head coach in Steve Nash, who's very much in over his head, but kind of not his fault. Who wouldn't have been with that team last year? And then Sean Marks, who's an excellent general manager. He did some wonderful work to rebuild Brooklyn quickly and turn them into a star destination, but is certainly more so than the uh, one of the top three, four players in the entire NBA, replaceable in a way that Kevin Durant kind of isn't. But, again, because it became so public, KD knew. He knew that by saying that, he had basically told the Nets, all of these guys or me. And on the other side, he's fully aware that the league is going to come in behind Brooklyn and say, look, like, this is the era of player empowerment, but you can't let a player starting year two of a four-year contract say, demolish your front office or I ask out. You have to put your foot down. And even if the Nets weren't going to do it before, the NBA cannot have every player opting into max extensions and then promptly asking teams to fire their whole front offices. It's just not a viable ask. If KD had just asked for Steve Nash to be replaced in quiet, I think they probably could have pulled that off. But his requests after this meeting were designed to get the Nets to put their foot down. They were designed to get Brooklyn to say, okay, we will trade you. Not like there was any huge difference image-wise between KD just saying, trade me, and saying, here's what you can do to keep me to stay, keep me staying, and knowing that they're going to say no, but you know, now he wants, I, I would guess he would want that the fans in Brooklyn are now upset that they didn't choose him over the whole front office, but politically, like, you just, you couldn't at this point. Owners of every team in the NBA would be asking for Joe Tsai to step down if he okayed this. Because from a business model, it just it doesn't make any sense. Um, so, what if? By the way, the opening to that show, if you guys want time-space reality, it's more than a linear path. It's a prism of endless possibility where a single choice can branch out into infinite realities, creating alternate worlds from the ones you know. I am, and in the show, Jeffrey Wright, says the watcher but yesterday i called myself the podcaster which is so much cooler adjusts his bifocals i am your guide through these vast new realities about kevin durant follow me and ponder the question what if kevin durant is traded to the new orleans pelicans what if The Pelicans decide to part with Brandon Ingram and some other youth and a whole bunch of picks. What does that do? I think this one's actually probably the easiest of the possible trades to handicap. And depending on how this one goes, maybe we'll try to 
mush Toronto into this same episode. We'll see. Again, when these shows in the offseason, 25 minutes long is is more than enough. We're we're inching up on some of the the juicy stuff here. We're offseason episode 87 right now. It's almost mock drive time. Sheesh. Actually, reminds me, I should probably check Yahoo to see if they've adjusted their numbers at all. So what if it's basically a Brandon Ingram for Kevin Durant trade? What does that mean for both teams? Well, the beauty is, in this instance, and you know, someone like a Herb Jones or a Jose Alvarado, these guys would, would be potentially included. Christian Winfield, I believe, was the, the reporter that broke the story on this one or... or dove into some of the the names that might get moved around the beauty of this one is that like usual kd is just kd so he goes to new orleans kd is kd and that's a team where they would need him playing bigger minutes because the west is nuts uh east has some very good teams right at the top make no mistake but the west has a longer list of teams that are all going to be fighting so they're not going to be able to screw around. It's not like if he went to Boston, a team that was already at the top that then elevates further. Pelicans are very much in the low middle. So they, an Ingram for Kevin Durant trade moves them up into the upper middle where they're then going to be fighting for, you know, that six through four area. Maybe even you hope they stay out of the play-in, but I guess you never know. So would require games played, would require very high usage. And if you want to play the numbers game, Ingram took about 18 shots a game last year. CJ McCollum came in, he took about, what, 18, 19 with New Orleans, not all that horribly important. Herb Jones only took seven and a half. You know, if he was a part of it, Jose Alvarado only took five and a half last year. Like, these are not, it's not consequential the way that a Marcus Smart was. Even Devontae Graham, he gets moved. It's not, hugely consequential in that kind of same way is there a slight move up slight move down um yeah i mean you could honestly probably not it's almost like same exact role brandon ingram slots in here in new orleans who is already by the way set to take a, a dip because zion's coming back uh he would slide in behind kyrie irving i would argue maybe there are more guys on the pelicans that are offense first so perhaps the situation for ingram is ever so slightly better in brooklyn than new orleans this coming season although i'd argue that both are probably worse than what ingram had in new orleans last year now with with kevin durant it's not like you it's not like you'd point to zion and say well like he needs the ball more than kevin durant uh again you know maybe there are slightly more Guys, he'd be battling for shots, but he's still Kevin Durant. And then if Herb Jones gets traded, a bunch of other guys get traded, what that does, more than anything, is like you weren't really looking all that hard at the peripheral guys in Brooklyn anyway. In this instance, Brandon Ingram, Kyrie Irving, those guys would be very obvious drafts. Ben Simmons, depending on your your format, crawls into the equation. I'm not a big fan of it. I kind of need to actually see him play a basketball game before I believe he's going to play a basketball game. Uh, we already talked about Seth Curry, Joe Harris, guys like that. One of those guys has a better situation in this trade scenario as opposed to the one with Boston we talked about yesterday because Jalen Brown, same general position, Marcus Smart, same general position. 
in this case, you're bringing in Ingram, who's bigger, a direct swap. Now, pterodactyl for pterodactyl, Ingram for Kevin Durant. There aren't two guys in the NBA that are shaped more similar, I don't think, than those two guys. KD, a little taller, a little, little longer, better shot blocker. But, you know, it's really kind of more about the fantasy numbers when outside of, like, straight physical attributes. Herb Jones would get to play, but he's a low-usage guy, not someone that you're, like, really hyper-targeting anyway, especially now with Zion back. Same thing if somehow Devontae Graham gets wrapped up in all of this. Alvarado, same general idea. Those guys fall in kind of behind other players. And so with Brooklyn, you know, maybe... Curry or Harris stays above the threshold in this trade. But it's not a huge deal. In the way that, looking back on the New Orleans side, if you remove the bunch of those young guys, it really does help, I believe, the bigger names more. Because right now, if there wasn't a trade in New Orleans, Zion coming back and taking 15 shots or whatever he's going to get, maybe more, maybe less, I mean, he'll get to the free throw line a bunch and kind of clouds the number a little bit, but just think more about the usage as that number pertains. That's going to take away a bunch from Ingram, from McCollum, and it's going to take a little bit away from Jonas Valanciunas. On the shot side, certainly on the rebounding side, Zion's presence is a massive fantasy negative for all the existing higher usage guys. Remove a couple of the lower usage guys, and at least there's just a little bit more that trickles back out onto the table. And yeah, other low-usage guys will squeeze in where someone like Herb Jones used to be in this scenario, but dude was playing 30 minutes a game. So that is a, that's a number you just have to replace somehow. Ingram was at 34. One would assume KD plays like 35, so pretty close to that. So you're still replacing some 28, 29, 30 minutes or more, depending on how many other guys might get kind of lumped in with all of this stuff. Does that mean more minutes for the regulars, or does it mean someone else perhaps crawls into the available slot? Probably a little bit of both. Does it mean anybody else gets across the cut line? I'm thinking probably not. But at the very least, it forces a Pels team that suddenly goes from being kind of deep to really not deep at all to rely quite heavily on the starters, even more so perhaps than they were going to do already. So it helps a little bit in that regard and mitigating some, but not even close to all, of Zion's impact. But what about the Toronto trade? Which, now the Boston one was extremely interesting. It's funny, the, uh, it's, it sounds like this Pelicans deal might be the easiest simply because of where the team is storyline-wise, makes this one the easiest. Because the Pels, as they're currently constructed, are a lower-tier playoff team in the Western Conference. They squeezed in there last year. Squeezed in there last year. And then you know, played relatively well, actually, come playoff time. They Still 10 games under 500, though. And then you know, overcame some stuff to make a little bit of noise in the, in the play-in situation. So, yeah, obviously switching, adding Zion back, 
elevates them a little bit further. Because they were, what, ahead of San Antonio, they were the nine? Were they the nine seed last year? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure they were the nine. And then uh, got through, right? Yeah, got, uh, and then were eliminated by the Wolves. Feels like a long time ago. No, that's not right. <laughs> they, they, they made it. They made the playoffs. Yeah, they made it. They played the playoffs. They were eliminated by the Suns. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Wolves were the seventh seed. So, as the Clippers were the eight coming into the play-in tournament, it's really weird to try to look back and try to remember what happened a few months ago. But I did it. I did it. So the Pels were 36 and 46. You add Zion back. I'm not sure that even gets them out of the play-in tournament because, remember, the Wolves in the seventh seed were actually 10 games ahead of the Pels last year. Zion himself is not 10 wins. Zion and flipping Brandon Ingram for KD, that probably is. But then you still have to get above that team. So you needed 11 additional wins. And then if you wanted to get into the upper four, home court at any point during the playoffs, outside of the play-in tournament, Pels were 16 games back of that. And I don't know that that combo, Zion coming in, nothing going out, KD coming in, Ingram and then some defensive players, young, energetic defensive players going out. Does that get you 16 wins? Maybe if they had like half a year to practice together and then opening day happened, but they're going to have to figure out how to play together starting an opening day. So I don't know that the Pels get into the upper four, but at the very least, you're talking about a team that would go from being a play-in tournament team, probably. Like, I, I don't think that they would get above the eight seed just adding Zion back right now to a team that probably escapes the play-in, probably doesn't have home court, mostly because I don't think they have enough time to practice. Although, remember, Utah is down in the dumps. Lakers might make a run at it. San Antonio has sort of run themselves out of it, although they were they were the 10 seed back anyway. Portland's going to be back in the mix. I would argue probably more teams dropping than rising in the West. So the Pels kind of see a little inside track there. Maybe they get to the 5 seed. Maybe they something goes nuts and they can squeeze their way all the way to the four. Seems unlikely, but possible. At that point, with KD, with Zion, McCollum, JV, oh, we got a very good set of guys in your starting rotation. They've got to look at it. And the short version of all of that is the Pels go from a team that is not championship level to a team that could, at the very least, convince themselves that they are. I might argue the same thing about the Raptors, uh, but they're sort of a little bit, to me, they're a little bit different because Toronto is already the five seed in the Eastern Conference, and they believe that their young guys are going to get a lot better. Scotty Barnes, they believe, is going to get, was great and is going to get even better. OG Ananobi was hurt most of last year. They expect him to even be better. Siakam was great. Freddie Van Fleet was solid enough. They liked what they got out of Gary Trent. Toronto... I don't know. They just, they like to build from within. Even though, in my mind, even if most folks are arguing the Pels make the most sense from a storyline standpoint, I would argue the Raptors make the most sense because we've seen them do it before. We'd seen them take a an upper-tier Eastern Conference team, but that's not nearly championship level, and add that one superstar that won them a title. 
And it cost him a bunch in that one, too. Jonas Valanciunas, DeMar DeRozan picks. It cost him, but it was worth it. And I know they're in love with Scotty Barnes. There's a lot to like about him. But this is Kevin Durant with three years left on a contract. I would plead with the Raptors to please be the team to go do it. Because even if you have to give up Ananobi and Scotty Barnes, I wouldn't care. Still think they have some issues at the center spot. They've got a bunch of guys that could almost be a starting caliber center in the NBA and then like a stretch Siakam. But let's say they went that route. Siakam at the five, KD at the four, Van Vliet point guard, Gary Trent Jr. shooting guard, and then, hmm, don't know, perhaps they would require a Seth Curry or a Joe Harris coming back in such a deal to fill out the roster. That team actually could make a run at a title in a way that right now I like OG Ananobi I like Scotty Barnes they're not Kevin Durant the Raptors don't have that guy on their roster they don't they have a lot of good basketball players but I don't know that anybody on that team is a bona fide superstar in a way that Boston has star power and Boston made the finals they don't need to make this trade Although with Boston, the argument is, hey, we were right there. We turned Jalen Brown into Kevin Durant. We'd probably win the title. So there's a decent reason for any of them. I would beg the Raptors to do it because if Scotty Barnes and OG Ananobi head out, uh, you've got all sorts of stuff left over for Gary Trent Jr. and Pascal Siakam and Freddie Van Fleet and Kevin Durant. And you guys know who always steps in when someone goes down. Chris Bleepin' Boucher who probably would not be a starter on that team, but we've saw it plenty of times. Anytime one guy was out, Boucher was the guy to step in, play 27 minutes per game, and go from a top 150 guy to inside the top 90, or a little bit better. And you know someone else is getting hurt at some point on that Raptors team. So anything to thin out the depth in Toronto is chef's kiss. So what if Kevin Durant got traded to the Raptors and Ananobi and Barnes were the two guys headed back the other way? Well, KD obviously slots into one of those two guys' minutes because they were both playing about 36 a ball game. The other 35, let's say Joe Harris doesn't come back, a lot of that goes to Chris Boucher. His 20 minutes per game go up, 27-28, then the rest gets kind of split among a lot of guys. They probably try to find another wing somewhere, maybe within their own ranks that they trust perhaps elsewhere. Maybe one comes over in a trade. If it ends up being a straight two-for-two kind of deal, uh, well, yeah, then that plan kind of goes up in smoke. And looking back on the Brooklyn side, if you're exchanging players where the minutes are roughly equal, then you don't change the fantasy values of the guys involved all that much. Although, you know, Ananobi and Barnes on Brooklyn... Versus what? What do we think? Like Joe Harris and Kevin Durant going the other way? Yeah, you could argue that Barnes and Ananobi would probably see a little uptick in what they're expected to do on offense. So maybe a little bit better in that direction. And then as we've said before, KD is KD. So what if the Toronto Raptors decided they wanted to go that route? Maybe these ones are more interesting as reality destinations than fantasy destinations because 
really only the Boston potential trade offer shifts the positions around all that much in a way that Kevin Durant for Brandon Ingram at all is same spot on the floor, basically. KD gets replaced by someone in a similar shape to him. And then with Toronto as well, if they don't get a second player back, that's a way that the Toronto trade on the fantasy side becomes interesting because they'd send out 70 minutes, they'd only bring back 35. But if it's KD and a three-point shooting guard or wing, that's more or less replacing what Toronto sends out. Whereas on yesterday's show, we were able to do Boston first because that was small wing and guard potentially going one way for Kevin Durant, leaving Boston exposed and Brooklyn almost a little bit overloaded in that spot in their order. Given the proper amount of time, we'll get back into first pass on tomorrow's show unless, you know, something else shakes out on the NBA front because it's been... It's been crazy lately out there. Uh, I would hope that you guys would give me a follow on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hey, uh, recruiting two really important ones. So don't hang up yet or whatever. You, it's like a phone call. Don't hang up yet as we talk uh, on this rotary device. Recruiting pitch number one. Now that we've expanded into all major sports, by the way, probably have a hockey fantasy show coming this this uh, later this fall. If you'd like to cover a team as a podcaster, hit me up. Not again as a passing fad. This is something you have to be like ready to dive into as a, a real deal. But that's at Dan Vespers on Twitter. You can you can nail me over there and uh, we'll let you know. It just has to be a team that doesn't have a show already, obviously. Uh, or on the DFS side. Calling all DFSers, we actually have a really, really juicy opportunity on that front. Uh, if it's something you play daily, please reach out. I don't know who it's going to be, who's going to fall into this lucky catbird seat, but it's somebody. At D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or just Google search Dan from Hoopball, oddly enough, because that still pops up really fast, even though we are now a sports ethos presentation. This is off-season episode 87. Why am I still doing that? I don't know. But regardless, have a lovely Tuesday, and we'll talk at you guys again tomorrow. Back to Bucketology. That's what we'll call it. I've already got tomorrow's title figured out. All right, thus ends our little sojourn into What If, and now I can officially delete the uh, transcription that I did of Jeffrey Wright's opening monologue. See you guys tomorrow. So long, everybody.